0: This podcast was originally recorded for DevChat TV. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Sustain Our Software SOS. This is where we talk about all things sustainability regarding open source software. Today on our panel, we have Richard Litauer. How's it going? Myself, I'm Eric Berry, and we have a very special guest today, Titus. And how do you pronounce your last name, Titus? Warmer, Titus warmer in Dutch
1: and Titus warmer in English, and both are fine.
0: Fantastic.
1: One of the biggest pain points that I find as I talk to people
2: about software is deployment. It's really interesting to have the conversations with people where it's, I don't want to deal with Docker, I don't want to deal with Kubernetes, I don't want to deal with setting up servers, I don't, you know, all of these different things. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has gotten a lot easier. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has also kind of embraced a certain amount of culture around applications, the way we build them, the way we deploy them. And I've really felt for a long time that developers need to have the conversations with DevOps or adopt some form of DevOps so that they can take control of what they're doing and really understand when things go to production, what's going on so that they can help debug the issues and fix the issues and find the issues when they go wrong and help streamline things and make things better and slicker and easier so that they'll more generally go right. So we started a podcast called Adventures in DevOps. I pulled in one of the hosts from one of my favorite DevOps shows, Nell Shamrell-Harrington from the Food Fight Show, and we got things rolling there. And so this is more or less a continuation of the Food Fight Show where we're talking about the things that go into DevOps. So if you're struggling with any of these operational type things, then definitely check out adventures in devops and you can find it at adventuresindevopspodcast.com
0: now titus let me give you a little intro here you are on your website you say you write code relating to natural language markup and syntax trees and you're an open source developer and teacher you also are the person behind unified js welcome to the show tell us a, tell us a little bit more about yourself about your background And uh, what led you to this point? Well, thanks for having me. So I'm Titus
1: and I write a lot of open source code. That's basically now all I do because I do full-time open source and I'm funded through Open Collective now. And I used to be a teacher, so I should update my website. I'm no longer a teacher. What led to that point? So I did a design bachelor, digital design bachelor, and I wrote... A project for my thesis to fix natural language on the web like to typeset natural language on the web like nowadays that's much better but back then 2013 14 you couldn't do like so, some very fancy stuff on the web but like having hanging punctuation and and Well, I won't delve too much into that, but I found out that I needed some sort of a syntax tree for natural language to be able to create plugins, little programs to do, like hanging punctuation, for example.
0: So that's what your thesis was on, is is this technology the solution? Yeah, so uh, my thesis
1: was about an API, like a library on how to... Manipulate natural language and typeset it on the web. For example, to have nice hyphens between words. And if they like end the line, that you have like a proper hyphen there. But then if you have three set, uh, lines after each other, that they don't all have like a hyphen at the end of that line.
3: You needed an AST, an abstract syntax tree, to yeah. try to figure out what actually was going on in the words that were in the text. Because as a computer, the computer doesn't speak human language. So it doesn't understand whether a paragraph is a paragraph or a paragraph is a lot of zeros and ones. So what you need to have is some sort of tool where you can actually check as a programmer how the syntax and how the basically how the sentence is put together or how the words are put together such that they can be formatted in a way that's easier for other people to read and doesn't look like a, a lot of mumble-jumble. Does that right. sound about right?
1: Yeah, that's about right. That's kind of what a syntax tree is, and I needed that for natural language. Yep. A lot of people use
3: abstract syntax trees, right? So it doesn't... Well, pretty much every syntax of, syntactical formalism would use it.
1: But I'm trying to think where else ASTs are used. Doesn't I think... Babel is like a big user of ASTs. Yep. Webpack doesn't use it or they may. If you're like minifying anything, if you're minifying like HTML or if you're minifying uh, JavaScript, you're using syntax trees. The obvious use case would be Google Translate
3: or any translation system that has to have a syntax tree to understand how the sentence works in order to understand how to translate it into another language. So for instance, the Google Translate algorithm used to be that if there were seven words close to each other, it would put those into a syntax tree and it would look for those similar syntax trees in any other bilingual corpus such that you could automatically figure out up to around seven word length what the best translation is going to be because it'll know, oh yeah, we've seen this phrase used before. So maybe this phrase means this. And then in another language, this would be the appropriate phrase to use because we've seen that in a lot of different corpora. Now they use neural nets. So that's kind of a bit different. Titus, I've noticed that most of your work that I've seen seems to involve markdown. Does all of it involve markdown?
1: Not all of it includes Markdown, but yeah, most of it does. Why is that? How do you go from the web as a whole to Markdown? Yeah, that's kind of funny. Um, I, I started with the natural language part, and then I found out that most developers write everything in Markdown, so I needed the syntax tree for Markdown. And then I found like all the possibilities of things you could do with that, and I built stuff around that. And then you use Markdown a lot for going to HTML. You don't always do that, but you often do that. So we found that we also needed a syntax tree for HTML. And most of it is Markdown, but like it doesn't have to be. Most of it is
3: Markdown. This is probably because you're generally a JavaScript developer who uses GitHub a lot, right?
1: Right. So I'm dogfooding my work a lot. I write a lot of open source projects so there's like about 500 of them and they all have to have like readme and I'm maintaining all those readmes so I need like code checking for those readmes so I build tools to code check those readmes and they also have like to be checked for spelling and other mistakes uh, so that as well but because it kind of all lives in markdown it, myself all like revolves around markdown.
3: Is that just readmes or do you also work on
1: API docs and that sort of thing? I personally like do everything. Yeah, it would all be readmes, but other people use these tools for well, a- every place that markdown is used and it's used like in a lot of places. So, for example, Node.js uses it to build their API docs and gets awesome uses it to like make you build static sites from markdown and that's really cool so instead of just depending upon the
3: standard markdown to html parser what you've done is built tools that basically make it a whole lot more convenient as a developer to understand where the problems are and what's going on you mentioned the word checks
1: does that mean a hinter or a linter yeah you could say that it could do any checks like we didn't at all talk about what kind of checks there are but for example like you have in markdown you have a h1 h2 like by using uh, hashes but yep. you don't have an h7 but you could like start a paragraph with seven hashes and then yep. there's a check that we have that says like hey you probably meant like a heading but this is just a paragraph with a lot of hashes so it's a lot of checking, yeah, and that could be a linting. So that's that's awesome. So we have some idea of, of of what of
3: what you're doing, and you said that Node.js is using it, which is super cool. Gatsby is using it, which is cool.
1: How are you getting funded at the moment? So I used to not get funded at all, but I found that like, well, it's the problem is that I have a lot of modules, so there's like. I maintain about 400 repositories on GitHub. I don't do it all by myself, but I used to do that like in the evening hours and in the weekends. And you just get so many issues. If that whole ecosystem of all these things like keeps expanding, you get a bunch of issues and then the issues like pile up.
0: What was your emotional, uh, I hate to ask the emotional state, but what, <laughs> h- how did you feel during that growth? Because I imagine when you, when you launched these, these projects and they started getting attraction, the feelings and the motivations and the incentives that you had might be different than what they became later on when they started becoming very popular. Can you, can you address that?
1: Yeah, so it used to be just me for this like project as a student and I made this project uh Retext and like 300 people started. It was like my first thing on GitHub, one of the first and it was the first to get like 300 stars and that was amazing. And then people started actually using it and that was like amazing as well. Like this was super cool these like first few years and it's still cool that Tons of people use it and people love it. And yeah, but after a while, it's just so big and you have other stuff to do. Like I became more involved with teaching and building my own courses and and teaching more classes. And I also love doing that. So I spend a bunch of time on that as well. Um, But then when you get home, there's issues piling up and you don't have... Time or don't want to answer those issues, but then open source and this notification tab on GitHub becomes like you're stressed to look at it because like this blue bulb of like there's another unread notification. Like I didn't really get burned out, but it, yeah, it got pretty stressing.
0: At what point did you say something's got to change? Um. I
1: don't remember anymore exactly what how I came to that decision. I think the time was r- right because Open Collective was out there, like Babel was getting funded, Webpack was getting funded, and in November we like started asking people for money. Uh, what was that like? It was November two thousand eighteen, and I'm not entirely sure. Like it must have been over the summer that we came up with like, it's no longer viable this situation. And
0: what was it like asking your user base for money?
1: That was easier than I thought. Like we actually got money. We, we are getting money. So it's, I think unified is kind of a success story. Our income on open collective is 36 K and we have three big sponsors, Gatsby, Zite and Netlify that are sponsoring us. And, like compared to other projects, that's really great. That's pretty awesome. And what it was like, well, there was a bit of a marketing strategy behind it. But, but I basically DM'd like 50 people at companies. Like, hey, we're asking for money. Uh, we're going to announce some new things. And would you want to sponsor us? And it worked.
0: So... If you could classify the donations on Open Collective to large companies versus individuals, what percentage of that comes from these large companies that essentially came from an effort of you reaching out and trying to get these companies involved?
1: So I think like 95% of the income is these three big sponsors. And there's a couple of nice friends and people that... Sponsor like a coffee a month, and that's also great, but that's nothing compared to like the the bigger sponsors
0: so this is so interesting i, I i've been My mind has been in this place and trying to understand the role that that you have as a maintainer and the funding path i I've spoken about this in conferences past, but it's so interesting to, to talk to you I'm, I'm absolutely fascinated by by your experience in this so how much of your time after the initial launch is, is now spent fundraising? Is that something that you have to do at all anymore?
1: That's very interesting. Yeah, the first few months, like till January after uh, uh, asking for sponsorships, nobody used those funds to actually work on it. Because the income wasn't, isn't good enough to actually, like, have someone full-time, like, on it. Like, I remember, like, we started this and we got our two big sponsors, Gatsby and Zeit. And then I uh, came to sustain OSS in London. And I basically had the question, we have all this money now, how can we spend it? Which is a really weird question in open source, (laughs) but... Because I think, like we got our uh, third sponsor uh, just last week or just this week, Netlify, uh, which is amazing. So I'm like now I'm spending time on finding new sponsors. But back then we our income would be about twenty four k a year, and that's a lot of money to spend on stickers. But it's not a lot of money to spend like on a person full time on it because there's also like taxes involved and and other things. So
0: that's i i love that that the money the money coming in is 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 more than enough to buy marketing material but nowhere near enough to support developers full time now you did mention that you're working on open source full time when i look at open collective right now i see that the uh budget for the year is 36000 your name came to me in the past through a blog post that then hit Hacker News and kind of drove a lot of interesting conversation. And the blog post is by Andre Stoltz called uh, Software Below the Poverty Line. He mentions you a lot. So Andre went to, I think he was in Amsterdam and he and he met you and he met uh, Henry Sue and talked about, he went with the idea that Open source funding is very viable in the donation space. And uh, after hearing Henry talk about his struggles with Babel and keeping that money going, and, and and I've listened to that talk before. I'm sure that Richard has listened to that talk before. It's actually a very heart-wrenching talk. He, he started changing his mind a little bit. And the the idea that he has of software below the poverty line the core of it, as I understand it, is that donating to open source or the money that's driven to drive open source is nowhere near the amount of money that we need to sustain people full time at a certain level of income. And he even goes down to break it down by projects where uh, some of the biggest projects that we that we know about, one of them is Unified, which now is making a, a bit more money than it was on here, but Electron is only bringing in. About what thirty thousand a year? Jekyll thirty thousand a year. Curl less than ten thousand a year. Gatsby less than ten thousand a year. Uh, prettier JS is is less than a thousand. So this is a really interesting point that he brings. You are coming from a, this conversation that we're having. You're a happy guy. You know you're funded and you're excited and all this stuff. How much of this article would you say applies to you in in the space of maybe? It's not enough money to fund you full time, maybe in your situation it might be, but perhaps in another person's situation, it might not be. Can you just tell me what you think about the article, how it applies to you, all of that stuff? I'd really love to get your input so
1: that article is great, and uh, like before that, I should say, like Andre and I met up for coffee and and we had he has like super interesting ideas, and we had like lovely discussion about it and Yeah, so uh, so the gist of the article is kind of that we have all these ideas in open source about these popular projects that are getting funded and all is well, like Babel and Vue and Webpack and Unified and all these things. But his point is that only Webpack and Vue make enough money and the rest is like below the poverty line or below software engineering like our a normal salary as developers. So what I'm doing is unified and and unified is in a really interesting spot between the typical projects that are getting funded like webpack and babel. They're like the things that developers touch every day, like they're interacting with it all the time, they're aware of it. Whereas unified is a level lower like it's used to build prettier and it's used to build Gatsby it's used by a lot of companies like Netlify and others to do really interesting stuff but it's like a level lower so people don't know about it so it's even harder typically for these projects to get funded to get sponsors and what's also interesting is that unified is 400 different packages so it's set up in a very modular way, whereas typical, uh, like Babel and Webpack and few, it's like one thing. It's marketed as one thing, and people can fund this one thing. But like this left-pad tiny package that you're using deep down in your dependency tree, you don't know about, and why would you fund it? It's like done already. It does not need a lot of work. And Unified is kind of in an interesting position between very modular in being all these packages, but kind of marketed as a monolith, or at least that's what we're now doing. And I think that's working. And we also have an interesting, I think why we are also getting funded, by the way, is that it's very powerful, Unified, so people can build these companies around it. So like Gatsby and Netlify, Unified is really important to their infrastructure. So that's also why we have such a high rate of like company sponsoring as compared to developer, single person. One of my favorite communities in programming these days is the Angular community.
2: Every time I go to an Angular conference or meet up with some of my friends who are in the Angular community, I have a great time. And a lot of them have wound up on Adventures in Angular. So if you're doing front-end development, you're looking for a way to keep current on the Angular ecosystem and you want to have a good time listening to fun people talk about great topics related to Angular, then go check out Adventures in Angular at adventuresinangular.com.
0: So I'm going to speak for John real quick. John talks about open source sustainability, or sorry, his open source projects, which he maintains like 400 of them, uh, very similar to you, but all of them are are not as visible as perhaps Unified is, uh, or definitely perhaps as Babel or, or some of these other ones. And he considers open source as a supply chain. And a lot of his projects are at the very beginning of the supply chain. It's like when you think about how coffee is made and how coffee ends up at Starbucks, you know, I actually was at Starbucks this morning having a coffee and I sat there and I thought about the supply chain of Starbucks, how it goes all the way from the growers to the pit, you know, to the warehouse, to where they, where they cook it. And, and the green beans and all that stuff. And so the farmers that grow those coffee beans are, are, are no less important than Starbucks is. And yet, those farmers have no visibility whatsoever. Do you consider Unified as the farmer in this situation, or do you consider it more of somewhere in the middle, or do you consider that closer to the Starbucks? I, I assume not the Starbucks, but where does that fit in, and how do you think? these solutions might work for someone like John who the majority of stuff that he does is like left pad it is like the farmers uh the beginning of the supply chain
1: yeah I think the stuff uh uh, John do and I is indeed very similar I'm definitely not the Starbucks we're no Starbucks but we're also not just uh, the coffee grower it's a lot of tiny modules that are used In a lot of places, it's like this Gravel 400 packages. And some of them, a lot of them are tiny. I think about, let's say, 200 of those 400. And there's also some tools that put those Lego blocks together. And those come in the form of Remark uh, is a big one. And that's like a whole ecosystem of all these things. And it's part of Unified, but it's only a part of it. And, and like people know that name. And so we're directly kind of, as you see from the, the sponsors we have, like they are the Starbucks, and they're taking our product and using that and building stuff with that. So I yeah, I think that's also why we do have some money.
3: I think what's what's interesting about unified is that you mentioned, you know, people know that name. That wasn't a mm-hmm. given at one point. You mentioned the word ecosystem. What you have, which is really interesting, which a lot of other prolific developers I know, you know, I have I don't know how many npm modules, but I don't have a single thing that connects them all. You have one that connects them all. And on top of that, you yourself are an energetic fast twitter responder who goes to conferences and talks about things who is known you know as someone who's really on the ball with issues which actually gives another charismatic lever to the unified system in a way it isn't always the case that just by having a lot of modules all of a sudden other people are going to be old if you put it under like some umbrella these are the bamboo modules i you know what's well, called the project bamboo and these are all the bamboo modules that may not work very well in your case, you built the entire ecosystem so that it interlocks and, and works together, and then you put it under one banner unified, instead of having an MDX collective, a remark collective, a rehype collective, and all these other things which you could have done, which I think was smart and not as organic as it may come off, but that's just how, how it is. And I think that was something that Andre talked to about as well in his post, where it's not so much that it's hard to give money to very charismatic projects. It's hard to give money to things lower down the stack. In your case, you kind of are floating around the stack. You know, you have a certain certain parts of certain parts of it. So in the supply chain, maybe you're making the material and you're also packaging it and you're also shipping it. That's still just a small bit of, you know, the whole Starbucks enterprise of open source, star source. But... It's still pretty cool. Um, does, that, does that sound about right to you, my, my summary, my, my thoughts there?
1: Yeah, that's definitely right. I do wonder, though, if I should explain some more about what Unified is and what it, how it works and how many, how, yeah, what the things are. Because we're dropping some names here that I don't think all the listeners will know.
3: That's okay. They're there dependencies of, of Unified, which you've also built. That's probably the the salient features
1: as you're saying like it's this stack and it's it's marketed this way, uh, but yeah it it I didn't think of it like five years ago as this finished one big project um it all accidentally came together
3: whereas Babel and webpack started out as one big project, very ambitious, hey, let's figure out how to put cool features into JavaScript and make them work and compile them. And that works really well because everyone can immediately get the zest, right? So Seth Godin calls this the purple cow factor, where you go past a field and there's one cow that's purple and everyone looks at the purple cow. How, how do you get something to be charismatic, basically?
0: Well, you don't need help with that. You're very charismatic, my friend. You look very dapper on this show. Our listeners can't see, but you're by far the best dressed uh, guest that we've had so far.
3: Part of that is you you have a a tie side project. Is that right, Titus?
1: (laughs) Yeah, so I'm wearing a tie. I think I've done that since I've done open source. Yeah, must have started in 2013 as well. Well, it started out with like, I think as a typical dude nowadays, you have no clue how to tie a tie. So I figured that out. And then I found that there's a book about it and someone did a, I think, PhD or something about it, that mathematically you can tie 85 different tie knots. And I think also because I'm a a developer, but I like challenges like that. and, And I decided to do all the 85 different tie knots and... Like with everything, such as chess or knitting, there's, of course, like a notation for these different knots. And well, if you're wearing ties, you also need to like dress dapper, as you put it. Um, <laughs> so that's how this came into
3: existence. I love that story. Please don't start an open collective for tie knots. I don't think you would get a lot of money. Although you could always try. I'll donate a dollar a month for at least a month.
0: <laughs> I love it. Thanks. Let's talk a little bit about after the money comes in. You mentioned that governance is hard. I'd like to hear your thoughts on that, how you decide who gets the money, and the challenges that have arisen once the, the project started getting funded.
1: Right. So we decided that this situation wasn't really working anymore. Like there were a lot of open issues, there were like bugs, uh, stuff like that. And We thought that, well, if we have money, everything will be fine, of course. I think that's a very simple, logical, but also in the end, pretty naive idea. And we thought like, hey, we're going to ask for money, but we should also add some other stuff to it. So one thing we came up with is partner with a project and... That project is is MDX and MDX is kind of like a like a Starbucks from the the conversation earlier. So so it's hip, it's hyped. A lot of people know about it. Not a lot of people use it yet, but, but it's like super cool. It's it's JSX in, in Markdown. So similar to that, you can now write JSX uh, or XML-like stuff in your JS. Well, people also thought that would be cool in inside Markdown. And it is. and But that's like very visible compared to what Unified used to be. And we decided to partner up. And it's, it's built for uh, like 90%. It is Unified. So it made sense to combine our forces. And another thing we did was announce a new project, a MicroMark, which was going to be like super low level and that would make it all much faster. And... So that's, like, what we marketed and we got our sponsors. And then, well, as we said, like, we had that money, but we couldn't just spend it on stickers. And it wasn't enough for anyone to actually work full-time on it. So not a lot happened the first few months. And, like, the money kept buying up. And I still had my courses, so I was still, like, teaching. And I couldn't... Um, I couldn't, like, it was still my evenings that I was closing issues and they were still piling up because I didn't have a lot of time. And then, like, I think I started in May. I think May 5th or something was my first day of full-time open source. Like, we we had some money and I had a runway till, uh, I think, November was runway. And nobody, like, touched the money. And I ask like people like, hey, you could solve this thing and we have like funding for it and, and send an invoice and we can pay for it. But then people did that. And at the end, they were like, no, like this is open source. I don't need the money. That's fine. Like, keep it so that we had no like ways to spend the money. And then I was just like, we have money. I should try this out. So that's what I did. And it's been three months now. And in those last three months, I've made a lot of com- commits. I think about like 4,000 commits or something. And I cleaned up all the existing repositories. I closed a lot of those outstanding issues in the, that kept piling up the last couple of years. And I spent a lot of time thinking about governance and I'm writing policies, and I'm setting up like domain names, and giving people access to uh, email accounts, and working on security across the whole collective. So, like that's the last three months of working full time open source. It's like setting up automation and tools to make this like work better. And these tools are all
3: open source on UnifiedJS governance. And also you have NPM tools somewhere else, I think. There's a tooling repo. I forget the name for that one. GitHub Tools on Unified.js. I know this because I'm also I've also been a part of, of the story for the past year or so, which is kind of fun. And that's one of the reasons why I've been silent, oh listeners, because this is not news to me. But it's cool. It's super cool. All the governance stocks are really interesting. Titus has made some you made some tools to automatically add people to GitHub organizations and NPM organizations and remove them from projects and make uh, alumni and stuff like that, right?
1: Yeah, so uh this last month I spent a lot of time because We're in a weird position. I think typically a GitHub project is either one repository or maybe it's an organization, but we are housed in nine different organizations. And there's people that are like interested in HTML, but not at all in natural language. So there's people that work on one of these organizations, but don't really care about the rest. And I think it it used to be a bit bigger, but I think now there's like 20 people with like, uh, rights or read writes or uh, release rights, and these people come and go like recently I went through the list of people that haven't been active and like remove some people and if you're dealing with nine organizations, 200 plus repositories and 400 packages on NPM removing someone is like <laughs> takes a lot of time so we decided that it would be easier to automate that stuff so we now have like a script in a cron job that based on a JSON file somewhere, super nerdy, like adds people on NPM and removes them from like a GitHub organization. We have like the same GitHub labels across our repositories. And yeah, and that that is really s- simple to use. Like it automatically happens. And it also improves like security because you... Don't want like someone accidentally being having access on NPM for like and have another left pad happen. So we spent a lot of time on that. And that's like, awesome. I'm really happy with that.
0: So what's the plan from here?
1: So what, what I mentioned is, uh, is earlier that we, we announced we were working on a new project. We were going to build a new project, but like we didn't have the time for that yet. And that's the plan for like the next couple of months. Till, I could work on that full time till November. And then the money runs out, and I need to find a real job or um, more sponsors.
0: Well, I, I have no doubt that you'll find more sponsors mm-hmm. if you keep reaching out. I'm, I'm fascinated by your story. I'm fascinated by, very fascinated by, the governance solutions that you built and how you've created a small support business almost around this amazing tooling that you've created. We talked about a lot. I, I feel like we've we've really learned a lot about the, uh, the maintainer's point of view. Is there anything else that you'd like to share that we haven't talked about that you think that the audience might find important?
1: Mm, so I was in, in preparation of this call. I was listening to the first SOS podcast. And I think... Two things took out. I think John mentioned the first in the first episode and that was that he said like a lot of sustainable open source is also about coding and uh, 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 or about code style and like having tools in place. And I touched upon that just now but there's like more I could talk about as well. And I think Richard mentioned like he would like to talk about not just the money side of things, but also like being happy and like mentally okay, and, and that part of open source maintainers as well. And I think those two are also interesting. And I, I'd love to chat about those two as well. Yeah. What, so, what
0: aspect of that would you like to chat about?
1: How are you feeling today? <laughs> I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. Yeah. Like, I'm very. Interested in what other people do about like sustaining their life if they're in this OSS space. So I'm also like interested in, in your like both of your your side of this. As I've been listening to you
3: talk, um, and I know you have some savings. You're working on savings, and I've I've been there before too, um, working at open source and just burning through through money that I've racked up elsewhere, and then hoping that it works out. One of the things that's really interesting is, obviously, you're in the Netherlands, which has a really nice safety net for people. I have to pay, like $500 a month minimum. That's the minimum I have to for health insurance, which is brutal. And then in the Netherlands, it's not really that much of a problem, right? If something happens, you can just go to the doctor. I don't know how much you have to pay, but from what I'm aware of, based upon having been there, the democratic socialism has a bit more of a safety net there. And I wonder how much that enables you to get by on less or have less anxiety about, say, breaking your leg tomorrow while trying to fix an errant issue on GitHub, which has been known to happen. So
0: <laughs> those, those, are the, those are the really hard bugs to fix. <laughs> the leg-breaking bugs.
1: Wow. There's definitely a safety net, a better, I would say, safety net in the Netherlands compared to the United States. So it's much Easier, I think, for me with this income to do this compared to if I was in the States. So there's also like other factors. Yep. I'm pretty young. I'm like 27. And, and when I started, I was, I was younger. I, I'm, I'm white. I don't have kids. I'm male. I, that, all those things make it much easier for me to do this right now than for other people. yep. So I, I'm privileged and, and, and lucky in that sense. And I, I think also is I could probably work for a company and make enough money and it wouldn't be very hard for me as like with, a, well, it's not like GitHub should be your CV, but it, it's, it, it also kind of is... So that's definitely also like a very big safety net for me. Hmm. I've definitely had that feeling
3: as well. And GitHub has been my CV for many things, mainly as a contractor. So contractors are less less interested in like you know, hey, how's your past manager and like, and more interested in, hey, can you get the work done? I know you've sometimes taken on on contract roles as well, which is another way of making money. I don't know whether any of that has been related to Unified. Have you taken on any specific like? Any money to fix any bugs or or add a feature yet? Has has that been a a pathway?
1: No, that hasn't happened yet. But there have been some people that asked and I'm like, I'm looking for opportunities. So if anyone is like using Unified and, and running into a bug and that will be cool. There's also like many ways that unified could expand and and if someone needs a project to exist and that project could be open source and like unified could maintain it afterwards, for example, that's also like would be really cool and yes i'm I also like a, a developer, so I could also work on non unified things, and I sometimes sometimes do contracting, but not a lot but yeah so I guess the reason we went right back into
3: into money and contracting is partially because it's a big triangle, right? It's like, it's, it's not, money isn't a vacuum from mental health, which isn't a vacuum from open source. They're all, they're all tied together. They all lead to great glories and horrible defeats.
0: And broken legs, apparently. <laughs> and broken legs. <laughs> um, I
3: don't think I've ever actually broken a leg from a GitHub issue. I definitely, that would be a really fun case study. We can find anyone who's injured themselves trying to solve something. I've definitely got an RSI. Which happens. Where can people find you on Twitter or in conferences or the like?
1: So I think everywhere on the internet, you can find me at Worm, so W O O O R M. And so on GitHub, on Twitter. And you can email me now at titus at unifiedjs.com. Awesome. When I first started taking computer
2: science classes in college, I thought programming was just a joke. In fact, I changed my major over to engineering and started doing computer engineering and chip design. Then I found Ruby and I fell in love. I love Ruby. It was my first real programming language where I dove deep and really learned how to make software that makes a difference for other people. Since then, and the way that we got started with devchat.tv, we started a show called Ruby Rogues. It's currently in the 400s of episodes. We've talked to hundreds of people in the Ruby community about the Ruby community, about the Ruby programming language, about Rails and about what makes good programming. So if you're interested in Ruby Rogues, or you just want to hear a long series of experienced programmers talking about real problems, then go check out rubyrogues.com.
3: Thank you so much for chatting. Now is the other part of the show where we break it up by talking about our picks. So basically three things that you think have been meaningful or interesting in the past week or month or whatever. I just realized it's much harder for the panelists to do this because we have to come up with new things every week, Eric.
0: Yeah, I, I'm so used to it now that uh, it, it's not hard for me.
3: Okay, well, and I, to sometimes
0: I, yeah, I'm happy to go first. So there's a couple of things that I'd like to pick. The first thing is a, a new podcast that came out Netflix style by Kent C. Dodds. It's Chats with Kent. And mm-hmm. I was one of the lucky ones that was able to be on this podcast, but it's a fantastic Effort. Kent is a, a dear friend of mine, and he's such a giver back to the community. The audience might know him as being one of the uh, one of the big maintainers of large projects like CrossN, but also he is behind testingjavascript.com, a huge uh, teacher. He's just a fantastic human being. And so that's my first pick, is his podcast. The second pick, I'm going to be a little bit selfish, but I think it's relevant to the audience, to the context of this call, is CodeFund. Now, CodeFund is my own project, and we also try to help drive funding to open source projects, to bloggers, builders, and maintainers through ethical advertising. I talked a little bit about this before, but one of the things I want to point out is that we do work directly with Open Collective. And when we work with Open Collective, a part of the money that we get that comes out of our cut goes to Open Collective. So if you go to CodeFund.io slash partners slash Open Collective and join from there, a part of the revenue will go to Open Collective themselves to help them continue to be sustainable. Those are my two picks.
3: Awesome. Awesome. My picks are going to be one that we probably shared a thousand times before, uh, Nadia Eggball's website. She wrote a post on being basic, which I thought was really great. Also got her newsletter, which was helpful yesterday. Doesn't always remember to write it, but hey, it's way more consistent than my newsletter. So go check out NadiaEggball.com slash basic. And my other pick is just incredibly silly. I'm listening to an audiobook for the umpteenth time because I just love it. The Martian by Andy Weir is... Basically, I've heard it described as competence porn, where it's just a guy being really competent over and over and over and over again. Everything's broken, let's fix it. Everything's broken, let's fix it. There's no real character arcs, nothing really changes for the, for the people, but it's just problem solving after problem solving. And for a programmer, it is just adrenaline hit after adrenaline hit of like, yes, solve that problem too. Awesome. I really love the audiobook. Huge shout out to the guy who did it. He did a fantastic job with the accents. They're not always perfect. The German accent's pretty bad, but the characters are all differentiated, which is important. So the Martian audiobook is on Audible. I would check it out. Titus, what do you got?
1: Mm, so it's not a book. It's not a website, but it's a hobby. And it, it's kind of in line with the Thais thing. So I was in, in San Francisco for three months at the start of the year, and when you're in a place for three months, it's like very different than if you live somewhere. And it's also very different than if you're like a tourist and there for a couple of uh, days and only see like the touristy things. And then I came back to Amsterdam and I felt like I knew San Francisco better than Amsterdam because like I've, I've lived here for a couple of years, but still like you just in here we bike. So like you bike to some bar and you're not really looking around and So then I found, like, what if I go and and walk around here? And there's apparently 481 neighborhoods in Amsterdam. And I'm, like, walking all these neighborhoods now. My pick is go and walk more. Like, it's healthy and it's fun and it's good for you. And the second one I just came up with uh, watching Richard is... Richard has this, like, really fun video... Series, I guess, but I've got the name, so you're going to have to help me. But it's like, you're basically making eggs and reading a book. I have a a cooking show called Francis Bacon and Eggs,
3: where I read Francis Bacon and I make eggs.
1: Yeah, and it's it's a lot of fun to watch. Like, If you want to watch someone make eggs and and read, definitely watch Richard do that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you.
0: (laughs) You are like an onion, just peeling the layers, Richard. (laughs) You're such a fascinating guy.
3: I thought he was going to mention something else. But yeah, uh, that's my cooking show. Not many people watch it. It's very low stress. If you want me to make some eggs, send me a recipe and I'll make it while reading Francis Bacon. I'm blushing a shit ton right now. Uh, I'm blushing a lot right now.
0: (laughs) This is so good. (laughs) Oh, Titus. Thank you, sir. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for your contributions to the community. Thank you for building tooling that we all build, that we all use. Thank you for making my life as a developer easier uh, by providing free software. And uh, we'll close out the show with that. We will see you all next week.
2: Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN.